Tonight, I want to preach another, actually a, a fourth sermon that goes along with our recent discussion of biblical compassion. I didn't really intend for this to turn into a series, but anyway, it has. I want to uh, do this with a lesson entitled, The Older I Get, The More I Hurt. Now, we can chuckle about that, especially some of us that are a little bit older, because we know the older we get, the more we hurt. Um, certainly on a, on a physical level, and I don't have to explain that to those of us who are of a certain age. But uh, tonight I'm not talking about physically. Tonight I want to talk about that title line spiritually. The older I get in Christ, the more I hurt for those I see around me. Personally, I've been blessed beyond my ability to communicate over the last 37 years. I've had the God-given privilege of studying and poring over God's word for the past 37 years since Karen and I were baptized into Christ in April of 1985. And not only of pouring over his word, but of preaching and teaching and sharing and proclaiming that word in a variety of different forms and formats in a lot of different places over the vast majority of that time. In the beginning, I wasn't raised in the church, as you know. Wasn't raised in the church, didn't even know about the existence of the Church of Christ. But eventually, obviously, came to know the truth, and in the beginning, mid-twenties, when I discovered and obeyed that truth, truth that saves us and sets us free, <laughs> I came up out of the water with my Acts 238 in one hand and the rest of the sword of the Spirit in the other, ready to just go for it. Ready to just, I was armed to the teeth. Like I said, I had my, my, my Acts 238 and my rest of the sword of the spirit. I was ready to just get out there and go to war with the one weapon which we simply cannot lose with in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5, that being the word of God. I was ready to get out there and just fight and take names later. You see... Maybe a little bit difficult for some to understand who've always had the blessing of growing up in the church, that for some of us who didn't, when we first discover that truth, especially if we have been misled on, on what it takes to be saved, we finally become Christians. We come up out of that water right on fire. Problem with fire is it can burn people. But when you, you come up like that and ready to just go for it, sometimes, sometimes in your zeal, you don't always consider those in opposition to that message to be real human beings. You don't always look at people first and foremost in light of their weak, wounded, lost, and hurting souls. You simply look at them as to be confronted and either conquered or converted. Some of you understand that because you didn't grow up in the church. But over the years, whether you're raised in the church or not, if you stay faithful, if you study God's word, 
strive to be humble, you allow the word of God to work into your heart the way it should, seeking to become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ on a daily basis, not perfectly, but always striving to, to do that, you begin to see people. You begin to view things like the lost and hurting and the weak and the sinful, sin-damaged souls a little bit differently. You begin to look at them a little bit more maturely and a lot more compassionately. And hopefully, hopefully you begin to look at them a little bit more like, like Jesus as he entered Jerusalem, particularly in Luke 19. I'm going to ask you to turn there to Luke 19. You begin to see souls as Jesus did as he wrote into Luke 19, where for only the second time in all of Scripture, it is recorded that Jesus wept. Jesus, as he rode toward the city of Jerusalem in Luke 19, beginning at verse 41, had such great pain and such hurt, even for those who would crucify him there, and he knew it was coming, even for them who would be responsible for his crucifixion and death. Jesus didn't see them as anything other than hurting souls who needed what he had to offer. And Jesus wept over them. Why? Because he understood what awaited them. He understood their end as a result of their rejection of his efforts to save them. We read in Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 41, and as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. They will not leave in you one stone upon another. Because you did not know the time of your visitation, we see this war in Ukraine and we see the bombs and the shells and we see what they're doing to civilian buildings. I want you to understand that Putin is not the first one with a scorched earth policy. Rome had one. And in 70 AD, this very thing took place. And, and Jesus, seeing that it was going to happen, knowing that it was going to happen, told him why it was going to happen. He said, because you did not know the time of your visitation. But the point I want us to see again in verse 41 is Jesus cried for those people. He wept for them and he hurt for them because he knew what awaited them as a result of their rejection of what he had to offer them. As we as human beings, again, whether we were raised in the church or not, grow older in the Lord, as we spend more time in the scriptures and become more mature in Christ, I believe this sort of hurt that Jesus exhibited here should become more and more of a constant thing in our lives. It should become more and more of a constant thing until we are consumed by it and become more compassionate because of it. Did you know that's a pattern we see in scripture? 
you know that's a pattern of some of Jesus' apostles? In the beginning, boy, everything was just, let's go get them, sick them. <laughs> but as some of those very same apostles matured and they spent more time in Christ, they began to look at people not as enemies to be conquered, not as foes to be vanquished, but as hurting souls that needed the gospel so bad. For example, what do we commonly refer to the Apostle John as? We refer to the Apostle John as what? The Apostle of Love, right? That's who he is. John's all about love. John is the Apostle of Love. Read 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. It's all about loving your brother and loving God and love, 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 love. That's, that's it. That, that, and that's an awesome thing. I'm not, I'm not, don't misunderstand when I say that. I'm not being irreverent. That's who we recognize John as. And that is who John was as an older man. But that ain't who John was in the beginning. We sometimes forget that. We forget that it was the Apostle John who would write over and over in his later epistles when he was an older Christian how we must love one another. In John, we know in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, he condemned a love of the world and all of its ways. John condemned that. Well, as we talked about this morning, one of the biggest ways of the world is pride. So John condemned this love of the world, including the pride-driven pursuit of a place of power and preeminence, such as Diotrephes sought. If we read 3 John 9 and 10, we know there was a man there named Diotrephes who wanted the preeminence, wanted to be the top dog in the church. What we forget, and John condemned him roundly for that, but what we forget about that? Years earlier in John's life, John was just like Diotrephes. You remember a, little, remember a little count in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28, where James and John went to Jesus, had their mother go to Jesus because they wanted the places of, guess what, preeminence right and left of Jesus. That's who he was as a young man. We sometimes forget that. See, as a younger man, he didn't have as much compassion for the group of apostles, but he and his brother sought to undercut them. The apostle of love, yeah. And when the 10 heard it, they were indignant. See, over time, as he got more and more into the scriptures, as he come to understand the love of Christ more, as he developed and matured in Christ, he developed this, this understanding of love and compassion, but it took time, even for John, who walked with Jesus. We often forget it was the same Apostle John, who once again, early on, younger man, Luke chapter 9, verses 51 and following, what do you want to do? Samaritans didn't want Jesus traveling through their town. So guess what John, James and John come up with? You want us to call fire down from heaven? You want us to cook them? <laughs> That's not real loving. But the Samaritans, John was ready to call fire down and nuke them in their tracks. But as he grew and he matured and he experienced the love of Christ and he appreciated more what Christ had done for him as he grew in Christ. Guess what? It was the same Apostle John who wanted to nuke the Samaritans in Luke 9, 51 through 56. 
who developed a compassion for them instead. Instead of seeing them as, as foes to be vanquished with his Acts 2.38 in one hand and the rest of the, the sword of the spirit in the other, John saw them as hurting people who need their souls saved so much, in fact, that we find this very same John who once wanted to nuke them. Going back through and preaching Jesus to them because he saw them as lost souls. Acts chapter 8, verse 14, verse 25. You see, he grew. See, this is very biblical, this, this pattern. We see this pattern with the apostle Paul as well. Remember how Paul, in the very beginning, as a younger man, treated those who disagreed with him spiritually. Remember Stephen's being stoned? And they lay their jackets, they lay their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And he gave approval to the death. You see, Paul viewed those early on who disagreed with him spiritually as foes. But the older he got in Christ, the more insight that he gained into the love of God, the more he matured, the more time he spent with the Lord his God overall, the more deeply the Apostle Paul began to hurt for those around him who did not share his spiritual convictions. He began to hurt for those he had once sought to inflict hurt upon. In fact, just like David in Psalm 73, Paul came to know and to fear and to hurt unspeakably for the sake of lost souls, for the sake of those who would be lost and were in danger of being lost just because they were needlessly putting themselves on the line eternally by their rejection of Jesus Christ. Paul was pained by those people. Paul broke his heart. Turn to me in Romans chapter 10. The older they got, the more they hurt. For the lost, for those who would not accept Christ, for those who did not share their biblical, spiritual convictions. Look at what Paul says. You, you can just see this older apostle's heart breaking for these people. In Romans 10, he says, verses 1 through 3, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. I bear them witness they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. He said, my heart's breaking for these people. This is the same guy who earlier would drag off Christians and want to cause them to blaspheme, and he was exceedingly angry against them, Acts 26, 9 through 11. For those who did not agree with his religious convictions, but he gets to a point later on as he grows in Christ, and he becomes a Christian, and he grows in Christ, he gets to this point where he's just hurting for people that, that can't see what he sees. Uh, back up a chapter to, to Romans 9, and, and he says this in the first few verses. He says, I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. I, I want you to notice that he lists three things here. He said, this is how serious it is. He didn't just say, oh, by the way, I hurt for people. He said, I'm telling the truth in Christ. 
I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. He said, you better take this for the real thing because I'm telling you right now, it is, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all and eternally blessed. He said, my heart's breaking for these people. He said, I, I could wish that I were cursed and cut off from Christ if it would save them. Now remember, Paul was very familiar with what it meant to be a Christian. The older he got, the more compassion he expressed and the more he hurt. He hurt for the church. Paul wrote to the Lord's church in Corinth in the first century in 2 Corinthians 2.4. He said, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart I write to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have abundantly for you. Paul said, I'm writing in tears. His heart was broken. He was full of compassion for their struggles because he loved them so much. He would tell us in 2 Corinthians 11:28 of his deep concern daily for all the churches. The very last words, recorded words that we have of the Apostle Paul or in 2 Timothy, and I'm going to ask you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And although it's a very familiar passage, I'm going to ask you to try this. I want you to try to look at this passage, maybe for the first time ever, looking at it from the perspective of the older Apostle Paul's hurt and pain for all of those who would choose to resist the truth of God's word to their own destruction. I want you to, to read this text, even though you've probably read it a thousand times, but trying to see it from the perspective of the Apostle Paul, who as an older man is just hurting so much for the lost. Look what he says. We're going to begin in chapter 3, verse 14, 2 Timothy. He says to Timothy, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. T Timothy, I, I don't want to see you lost. You've got to continue in these things. Knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I charge you therefore, chapter four and verse one, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Timothy, we've got to save the lost. Timothy, you can't afford to lose your salvation. And we've talked in a, in a recent sermon about the, the, the gist of 2 Timothy being to uh, encourage young Timothy to hold on to the faith and some of his struggles. And so we've talked about that. But 
what I want us to see here is, is Paul, if, if you look at this through the eyes of an aged apostle who, who wants his countrymen to be saved and, and wants everybody to be saved and, and wants everybody to come to know God, he says, says Timothy, teach them the word. It's the only way. It, it's the only thing that's going to give them salvation. Timothy, you've got to keep preaching the word. Remember, the Apostle Paul knew the absolute reality of the love of the Father, of the grace of the Savior, of the existence of heaven, and of the eternally binding promises of the Word of God. He knew these. Consider, he had experienced the resurrected Savior on the road to Damascus. There was no doubt in Paul's mind Jesus had been resurrected, okay? Acts 9 takes care of that. No doubt whatsoever. Paul had experienced the reality of being caught up into the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, he didn't know, but he did know that he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which it was not lawful for a man to utter, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 through 4. He knew that. He had also come to know and had experienced the fact that God's word was the only way to heaven. God's word was the only way people were going to be saved. And, and he hurt for those people that weren't saved, who, who sought to establish a righteousness of their own because they didn't know the righteousness of God. And, and he knew that God's word was the only way that they were going to be saved. He knew that those who resisted that truth would tragically never get to heaven, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Paul hurt for people that were lost. And he didn't want Timothy, his beloved son in the faith, to ever become one of them. Look at what he says to Timothy here a little bit further on down. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 3, he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they'll turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, Timothy, you, be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Timothy, just as he had told him earlier, he had, to, he had to watch out for himself and for those that he taught. Paul didn't want to lose his beloved son in the faith. He, did, he didn't want to lose him to the world. And, and he said, you've got to be watchful, Timothy. You've got to endure. You've got to do the work. You've got to fulfill the ministry the Lord called you to. Paul hurt for people. He even goes on in verses 10 and verse 14 in this chapter to lament a couple of men who had rejected and resisted God. Demas in verse 10 and Alexander in verse 14. And, and as I read especially about Demas, talking about how Demas has gone back into the world, I can't help but think how Paul must have heard as he talked about a brother who'd gone back to the world. How it must have hurt the old Apostle Paul. These are his last recorded words that we have here in 2 Timothy and Titus. Why did he hurt for them? Well, because he knew what was written earlier in this epistle that we should have emblazoned on our hearts. He knew what 2 Timothy, what he had written in 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. He knew this, and I, I want us to look at this as well. 2 Timothy 2.11. This is why he hurt. And it should make our hearts hurt too, especially the older we get in Christ. The closer we get to God and the more like him we become, 
want you to notice what it says here. 2 Timothy 2, beginning at verse 11, Paul says, This is a faithful saying. If we died with him, we'll live with him. That's great news. Brethren, i got to tell you, that's what Paul wrote in Romans 6. If we, if we died with him, if, we're, if we buried that old man of sin and we rose to walk in newness of life, th then we're going to walk with God. This, this is great news. If we died with him to sin, we're going to live with him. This new life, and that's great, and that's awesome, and that's a, that's a beautiful blessing from God. And, and we see as we go on in verse 12, if we endure... We'll also reign with him. That's great. If we keep on fighting the good fight, if we keep on walking in the light, then we're going to reign with Christ. Isn't that awesome? That's the whole message of Romans 6, 7, and 8. But as good as that is, as strong and positive and beautiful and a blessing as that is, the next few lines are just as intense on the other side of things. If we deny him, he will also deny us. People say he can't fall from grace. That's not what the Bible says. If we deny him, he's writing, remember, to Timothy, talking to another Christian. Paul's a Christian. Timothy's a Christian. He's writing about Timothy's addressing Christians and hanging on himself. And he said, if we deny him, he will deny us. Then he says this in verse 13. If we, meaning Christians, in particular, specifically, are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. You know what that means? If we are faithless to God's word, if we do not do what God told us we must do, if we do not continue to do what God told us we must do, God is faithful. When we fail to keep his word, God's going to continue to keep his word and what he said about those who fail to keep it. If, if people don't do what God said, if we are faithless, if we, don't, if we don't operate by faith which cometh from the word of God, he's going to remain faithful for he cannot deny himself. That's not good news if we're faithless. That's, that's as bad as it gets. What it means is God is going to, just as he's going to pour out all these blessings, verses 11 and the beginning of 12, he's going to also pour out these, these curses and his wrath if we are faithless, he's going to keep his word. He's going to do exactly what he said he would do to the unfaithful. That's not good news for those who are unfaithful, brethren. That's, that's as bad as it gets. Paul hurt for those people. God hurts for those people. And so, older I get, the more I look at some of these things, I just hurt. I hurt for so many people. I hurt for those parents who will enroll their children in every extracurricular activity possible, from sports to dance to drama to band and others, and invest everything they've got in the equipment carry out and perform their best who at the same exact time will make no provision whatsoever for their kids eternity there's nothing wrong with sports our kids were in sports there's nothing wrong with music our kids were in music well one of them was well yeah more than that anyway <laughs> I got no problem with that but when people will will 
invest, I just heard for them, they invest so much in their kids' future on this earth, but do nothing to prepare them for eternity. I hurt for those parents. I hurt for those kids. I hurt for those lost souls that have their priorities so messed up. Those who will, will go to every, every concert, every game, every, everything else going on, but would not ever in 100 years set foot in a church building for Bible study or worship service. I hurt for those people. Closely related to that, amounts to the same thing. I hurt for those parents who say, we gotta take our kids to church. And they choose a church to take their children to based on the beauty of the building, based on the prominence of those that attend, based on the size of the youth group, or based on the amount of entertainment events and options that those churches have to offer instead of taking their kids where the word of God is taught straight on, straight up, and it is obeyed and reverenced in all things, including worship. I feel bad for those parents. You know why? You know why I hurt for them? Because Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 9, is still in the Bible. And that's not going to change. I hurt. I hurt for those highly religious people who claim they love the Lord and believe the Bible is his word, in which, by the way, it says that we have everything that we need to make us perfect and holy to stand before him, 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17, and 2 Peter 1, 2 through 4. I feel bad for those people who say, yes, I believe that, and I believe in that Bible, and that Bible that says in those texts that we have everything in the scriptures we need. Then they will go to a church they can't find in Scripture. They believe they're saved through a process that is not found in Scripture. They will practice worship that is not found in Scripture. And then somehow go home thinking that they've done the right thing in God's eyes in order to get into the heaven that's mentioned in Scripture. I hurt for them. Because Ephesians chapters 4 and 5 is still in the Bible. That's not going to change. The older I get, the more I hurt. I hurt for those members of the Lord's Church who, because of their pride, I know no better way to say it, especially in light of this morning's lesson. I, I feel I hurt for those members of the Lord's Church who because of their own sinful, selfish, human pride, believe that they somehow possess the power or the right to tamper with God's word, to totally disregard his lordship, to toss out his biblical pattern, and to deny his authority when it comes to their worship and leadership, but then go home convinced that they have done what is pleasing and acceptable to God when it is not. I hurt for them because 1 Corinthians 14, 33 through 37, as well as Colossians 2 and 3 are still in the Bible and, and that's not gonna change. 
I hurt for those members of the Lord's Church who come to service after service after service after service and study after study after study after study. And they hear the word of God that challenges them to change and become more like Christ in some way, but they simply will not do it. They will not make the changes. They know God says they have to. And I hurt for them. I hurt for them because Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 27 are still in the Bible. And that's not going to change. I hurt for homosexuals and other sinners who have not taken advantage of the opportunity to hear the truth, to repent of their sins and become Christians simply because somebody with a holier-than-thou attitude has chased them off or made them feel unwelcome. On a closely related note to that, I, I do hurt for those militant, militant, yeah, even them, the militant homosexuals and their political and entertainment allies and advocates and supporters and accomplices, Romans 1, 18 through 32, who have somehow, some way, convinced themselves that, that if they can just slowly, slowly continue to turn the tide of legal and public opinion in favor of accepting their chosen sin as a legitimate alternative lifestyle, if they can just keep putting it out there and keep, keep forcing people to believe it and, and, and win court battles and, and win cultural battles and, and keep moving forward and trying to turn the tide of public opinion on that behavior that somehow God will be forced to find it acceptable as well. I hurt for them because God's not going to change his mind. Psalm 2, Psalm 119.89, Matthew 19.4-6. I hurt for them because 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11 through 11 is still in the Bible. It's always going to be. But you know what? Most of all, if I were to stop and think about it, you know who I hurt for the most? You know who I hurt for the most? God. God. Appreciated the prayer earlier that, that Mark gave. The Bible tells us in Romans 1 that by the creation we can know the invisible attributes of God. God has made himself clear. God has created this earth in all of its beauty. He has laid the foundations. He has, the heavens are his handiwork and they declare his glory and praise. God has proven that he is God. And God had a plan even before he did all of that because he knew the messes that we'd make and the sins we'd get into. He had a plan to redeem us by sending his son. And he carried that out as we've been talking about in the adult class. And, and God's put everything in place and, and he's given us his word and in his word is everything that mankind needs to know to stand perfect and holy before God. Is that right? God's done it all. God's given it all. The only thing that God cannot do is force us as puppets to make up our minds whether or not to follow him. But everything else he's done, he's made it so easy. 
He's made the truth so simple and easy to understand. He's given everything. He gave the crown jewel of heaven in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's given it all. And yet, people just blow him off. God, God gets the blame for so many things he doesn't do, doesn't he? God gets blamed for the bad stuff that God don't do. God takes a beating every day, millions of times over, despite all the love and all the grace and all the mercy and all the planning and, and everything he's given us. God takes a pounding every day. I feel so bad for God. He said, here's how much I love you. And oh, by the way, as if my son isn't enough, I'll give you my word that'll show you how to live the best life you can live on this planet. He's done it all. Yet, when anything goes wrong, that's oh, God's fault. God did this. Why did God do this to me? Listen, if you start smoking at the age of six and you smoke until you're 70 and all of a sudden your lungs are shot, God didn't do it, okay? While I hurt, for those who refuse to humble themselves in obedience to the Lord God Almighty, while I hurt for those who just won't come to him, who just refuse every wonderful thing he's given us. And while I hurt for God himself, there's one hurt that I don't ever want to experience. And that is to hurt God and myself in the worst way possible. What is the worst way possible? If you as a parent have ever lost a child, you know what that is. I, I don't ever want to walk away from God, ever. I don't ever want to give him the pain after all he has done for me of disowning him, of crucifying him over, that's what the Bible says, turn to me the passage, Hebrews chapter six, turn there please. I, I want you to see this. Jesus went through so much the first time he was crucified, he doesn't need me doing it to him again. Hebrews chapter 6, this, this, I don't know how it's possible to hurt God any more than this. Verses 4 through 6, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, and have tasted the heavenly gift, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. In other words, if you're a Christian, it's impossible to, if they fall away, verse 6, to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. As we talk in the adult class about the shame that Jesus experienced on the cross, as we talk about the public display that was made of him as he was crucified that Friday morning, the Bible says that if we who have become Christians turn our back and throw him away, crucified him again. You heard me quote recently in a sermon that 25 to 30 percent of the membership of the Churches of Christ over the last two years in a lot of congregations they've lost that many. I hurt for those people. There's a passage in 2 Peter 
starting in chapter 2, I'll ask you to turn there, that I always try to read to people, study with people before I baptize them. When they say they're ready for baptism, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22, it says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed in her wallowing to her wallowing in the mire. This text tells us that if we become Christians and then we turn back and we, we throw it all away like we're just reading in Hebrews, if we, we turn it and, and we go back into the world and we go from being a, a child of God to one who has walked away and, and gone, come back and become a child of the world and, and we've caused God to, to lose a child, says that we're going to be worse off than if we'd never come in the first place. I've shared and studied this text with people before I baptized them into Christ. This is how serious this commitment is, right here. I have studied it for, I've seen them baptized by myself or anybody else. And within six months, a year, two years, guess what? And I read that passage and I see their faces breaks my heart. There is a little good news tonight. While the older I get, the more I hurt. The older I get, the more I also appreciate the fact that I've been given another day. You with me, church? appreciate the fact that God has given me one more day. Another day to possibly learn a little bit more, to possibly grow a little bit more, to hopefully get a little closer to him, to hopefully not sin in the ways I have in the past, that God has given me just one more day to change a little bit more from the young and impulsive Christian I used to be into the older and more mature Christian God wants for me to be. Isn't God awesome to give us another day? I am also grateful that God in his great grace and mercy has given and allowed me to have and has used the saints here in Shoto over the last three and a half years to help me to grow in Christ as well. To hopefully, hopefully train and help mature me a little bit more in Christ. I've learned some things about Christ, about myself, the last three years around here, three and a half, and I am grateful for all of you and your contributions to those things. Hasn't always been easy, but then the disciplinary part of the process never is, Hebrews chapter 12, as I preached not too long ago. While the older I get, the more I hurt, the older I get, the more I appreciate the fact that I have been given another day as well in order to try to possibly Talk to somebody about Jesus. Another day to hopefully reach out to some of those I hurt for because they're lost. 
about the Lord and his love and his grace and his word so that just maybe some of those that I, that I have hurt for, I can rejoice over as they are baptized into Christ. And would that be awesome? And, and each new day that God gives me is, is a new day, and I am so grateful to maybe turn that hurt into that rejoicing. Where are you tonight? I don't want to see you raise your hands. I just want you to think about this. Are you old enough in Christ to appreciate where I'm coming from tonight? Are you old enough in Christ to appreciate how much I hurt? Because you hurt the same way. Because you hurt for the same folks. Just like the Apostle Paul did. Just like our Lord Jesus Christ hurt for them that, not that morning when he prayed, Father, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They, they don't know. Do you hurt like that? Maybe you're here tonight or maybe somebody watching this online at any given point in time and you find yourself in one of the groups that we've described tonight. Maybe, maybe you come to the conclusion tonight that you've wasted too much time in the pursuit of worldly things. And it's time to repent and start providing your children with the proper preparation that they are going to need when the sports and the dance and the drama and all of that stuff is over forever. Maybe if you're watching this especially online, you have spent way too much of your life in a man-made church that never appears in the scriptures whose worship doesn't appear in the scriptures, whose process of salvation doesn't appear in the scriptures, and whose worship seems more like an entertainment performance than a biblical spirit and truth worship service. Or maybe you've sat in these very pews. You've heard the word of God proclaimed for years. And you know there's something that you need to change. You know that there are changes that need to be put in place in your life, but you've never done it. Brethren, tonight's night. Tonight's night. Oh, why not tonight, we say. Now's the time. Or perhaps you have denied obedience to God's word in other areas. Areas that you know are going to cause you to spend eternity in hell if you do not change your direction and do what he said. If it's any of those things, tonight is the time to repent and turn back to God and obey him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If it's time to stop hurting God, which we do, and it's time to stop hurting Jesus, and it's time to stop hurting yourself, and it's time to stop hurting inside, and it's time to stop hurting about your family who is worried about you, or it is time to stop hurting those older Christians who know what the Bible says, but they hurt for you because they know you haven't obeyed it just like you do, then why not change that tonight? Stop some of the hurt. You can do that by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You can do that by asking for the prayers of the church. If there's anything you need tonight that will help you or somebody around you stop hurting that we can help with, please make your way to the front as we stand and sing.